Welcome to this podcast recording from the DFARM 2022 conference on Benchmarking Clinical Operations for Digital Maturity. The DFARM conference is produced by the Conference Forum. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast recording from DFARM 2022. Thank you to you and your team. It's really just been amazing to have everybody back together. And uh, I'm just, uh, I think everybody's got a great DFARM high going as we head back to work. But before you do, I'm excited to spend a couple of minutes with a few faces that you've probably uh, heard from over the last few days in various settings. Oh, we, we already changed, I guess, did I do that? I'm, I'm multitasking with my hands. I thought there was a title slide with their f- names. Now they know everything. There it is. <laughs> There's nothing left to say. There's nothing left. There's the bar. Um, you have probably already met uh, Brandon Maggio from GSK, Tim Joy from Pfizer, Aman Thukral, who ran from the room next door from AbbVie, and Hassan Kadim from Bristol-Myers. What we're going to spend a few minute, moments talking about is digital readiness in clinical operations and some work that a number of organizations have started to do to try to benchmark in this area. And we've talked in a few different sessions about the importance of benchmarking data and where can we understand how well we're performing in different areas. This is a little different than performance data benchmarking, and we heard names like KMR and CMR in sessions earlier. Here we're going to be discussing digital readiness, and what does that even mean? So um, looking forward to spending a few moments with this group. We'll talk at first a little bit about why benchmark. Hassan, can I look at you first? Why does this even matter to you? Why, why do you care about benchmarking clinical operations readiness for digital? Thank you, Craig. Uh, this is a very important question. Um, in, the, in the team that I lead at Brissa Myers Squibb, we have a very wide array of capabilities that we support for the entire clinical trial journey. Um, I have a team of uh, 30 uh, individuals and we have 17 capabilities that range from your bread and butter, CTMS, EDC, ETMF, to the new capabilities such as decentralized trials and you know, passing by, e-consent, patient engagement, and so on and so forth. So we cover the technology strategy for clinical trials for, the, for all of our studies, but really from end to end. And oftentimes, when you have that widespread uh, of a responsibility, you want to see where are you lagging compared to your peers, and where are you leading? And that is a very difficult question to answer because there's no reliable data out there. You come to conferences, you hear from your peers, you get a perspective, but you're never so sure. And as we discuss with our leaders where we need to invest in the next year, in the next two years, where we put roadmaps, having benchmarking data really helps narrow down the areas where we really need to improve to be on par with the rest of the industry and areas where we know we have an advantage that we can capitalize on. It really helps us put the investment dollars where they belong to truly advance uh, as a pharma company. 
Tim, one of the first stops in benchmarking, I imagine, here has to be, can we agree on definitions for different categories and terms? And as, as you were going through this process, did that seem pretty intuitive? Were people able to um, kind of rally around certain terms? Were you able to embrace the terms that were uh, being presented? Yeah, I think I was able to um, embrace those terms that were being used. And again, I think that's a really important piece of all of this, right? I mean, the kind of the underlying results, if you don't agree with kind of or, or, or have a common understanding on what those terms mean, well, then you can't really trust the um, end result that kind of comes through if you're talking apples to oranges instead of apples to apples, right? So um, then I did want to just say I completely agree with Hassan there on everything you just said in terms of, of that piece, right? I mean, I, mean, I think like the, you can't understate and like it's so important for us to have this kind of data, especially from our types of teams and groups, right? Because you have to always be looking at this data in a way of, you know, one, you want to see where you're at compared to others. But also there's oftentimes a, um, a internal stakeholder component where you have to, you know, we, we each, and I would assume it's the same across all of our departments and stuff, we don't have unlimited uh, budgets to just spend on all this. I don't know about that. I heard people saying yesterday, you guys have billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. (laughs) Not quite. So this kind of data really helps us, right? I mean, it really helps us say, again, like, where is something that maybe we're doing okay with and maybe we don't quite need to invest as much for or to come up with some rationale why we may need to invest more in certain other areas. Um, So there's so many different uses of this data that's here. I mean, I've already used it a tremendous amount of time since we saw the results that um, came came through. Because again, they're, other than, again, coming to a conference like this, and you're trying to, let's be honest, hear a little bit about what everybody else is doing, right? But yet you kind of know not everybody is bringing their most latest, greatest thing <laughs> that that isn't quite there yet here. So having this on top of that just helps. And it really is, you know, I think a good competitive kind of view of data that's that's there so Aman did you find it is it hard to source this type of data on how ready your organization is when you have some structured questions that we're going to show in a few minutes with a couple of examples of some data Um, was it particularly difficult to source the information internally yeah it is it is very difficult and uh uh, Craig, if you recall our first meeting six years back in a conference, uh, so I was building a solution of social media listening uh, where I was uh, gathering uh, the trending items in conferences, pharma magazines, uh, and I was trying to come up with my own meter, like what top things are trending. Uh, but that was like social media is a social media. You know, you can say 10 things repeatedly and things could go viral. Uh, but that was not the true benchmark, what I was able to gather, you know, where industry is heading and what my peers are doing. And I, I was a competitive runner uh, in my college, so I think the benchmarks what I had for when I, I used to practice for running versus what I had when I had to make my own strategy, I think I didn't have enough data. So when you invited me for this initiative, I think like, I was very glad, you know. Now we have something very concrete, right out of the host mouth, you know, what we are doing compared to where our peers are heading. Um, very important in any competitive environment, so very, very important. And I think we were able to touch upon few top capabilities 
where our peers are and where we are and how we need to readjust our, our roadmap for investments. Fabulous. Brandon, similar sense for you in terms of how you anticipate using data like this inside of GSK for your work? Yeah, I think that uh, I agree with all the statements made here by our colleagues. Uh, it's it's a way to glean insights from an, an aggregate of what our peers are doing. And if we're able to really didact that data in an accurate manner, we can see where there is opportunity within the industry to maybe step on the gas a bit, right? We can see based upon these benchmarks, okay, majority of sponsors in the industry are really excelling in this space or that space or utilization of this tool or that tool. And I think that that's a great way for us to reinstill confidence in our organizations to move faster in that direction. Or maybe on the opposite side of that, to press on the brakes a bit, wait for the industry to kind of settle out in certain regards. All right, let's take a look at some data, shall we? Um, we can jump to the first slide, please. So these, these are just a couple of data points that we captured in this particular benchmark. And I do wanna give a shout out to Francesca Rinaldi from DT Consulting who helped support us with this process. One of the first questions we looked at had to do with a perspective around budget, which are the following statements regarding budget allocation for digital transformation projects apply to your organization. Um, and this was around budget allocation. Um, Aman, can I turn to you first? Do you have some perspective or sense on some of the data that we see here before us pointing to whether folks have specific budget allocated in different areas. Yes, yes. And no, I think it was very much in line with uh, uh, what we are seeing nowadays and how we are investing money. So the clinical operations, um, a lot of pharmaceutical companies, including us, we are investing a lot. And a major focus is on recruitment nowadays. Uh, what disheartening was when I looked at this, and obviously we were also part of this data, that uh, only half of the companies were focused on patient experience. And only 30% of the companies were focused on like site experiences. So uh, I think still, and, if, and I have a very simple way of dividing my like technology, site facing, patient facing, and internal facing. The internal facing technology still captures a lot of money. However, it should be the other way around. So if you look at these graphs, the top internal digital clinical operations, 80% had money, had strategy, but the bottom three was patient and site. Pharma companies are not investing enough. So They're not investing enough. It seems like my sense is from the way I read this, and I'll be curious, gentlemen, uh, and on my mantle here, if you have any uh, uh, sense of this as well, this is about having specific budget allocated to these initiatives. The alternative is we have to go to study teams and try to get them to portion out from their already thin budget to try to squeeze in support for decentralized or otherwise. So Tim, is that your sense as well, that if we look, we see, well, big digital transformation, I've got some central budget, but there are quite a few organizations that when it comes to digital supporting the site, well, that's left maybe more to the study teams to have to navigate. Yeah, I uh, completely agree, and I think I've actually seen that happen in our space too, right? So you kind of look at 
One, you, you, you look to carve out your budget each year in terms of where the big, big project areas are and then what pieces are gonna come from those type of centralized uh, budget areas and then what you can look to still try and get done, maybe attaching to a clinical trial budget or some, some other area. And um, I happen to agree. In fact, we were having some discussions over the past few weeks at Eiser uh, about, look, we, we, we keep doing some of these very large project pieces and oftentimes we see like our our sustained spend um, our actual budget for sustain each year doesn't go up right so each of these large projects and initiatives that go through start to really take away from some of the uh, uh, available spend for these other areas right and that's where I think some of that stuff also comes out of too and I, and I completely agree. Like, I also like the point of this of, we now have this data captured and can see the snapshot of this at this point in time. And I would certainly hope even next year we start seeing those bars go the year after we see it go, because I completely agree. I think the top two should be patient in sight, right? I mean, this is an exact illustration that I think, you know, we have to start to pivot and change our ways. Right, and uh, so I, I, I do like this for that standpoint also to see are we gonna move and kind of get into the right spot. Hassan, Brandon, any other uh, takes on uh, looking at least on where budget may reside? So I'm not surprised about the 80%. I think that's uh, the way of the current and certainly of the future as we, we try to remove redundancies. I'm actually surprised about the two companies. I don't know who they are, but the two companies that don't have allocated budgets for digital transformation or, or digital implementation, which means they're probably asking budget from the study uh, teams, which is an impossible task uh, already, or they're just piloting things everywhere and they don't have consistency. And that creates barrier in and of itself and that overwhelms study teams because, and overwhelms the sites as well because within the same company you're giving them five different flavors for specific studies. So as Tim mentioned, I hope by looking at this data, because we didn't have that data in the past, for those that answered the, the two out of the 10, probably they would look at this data and say, oh my God, we're, we're the outlier here, we need to do something. And that will be a, a, a trigger to change their perspective on, on how they allocate budgets. Yeah, not much more I can add there, fully agree. Um, I think it's really important for us to continue to look at this type of benchmarking data, right? It, it's, it's gonna be so interesting when we look out a year, two years, three years from now to see how this changes, what the trends are. And again, you know, it, it gives us a great overview from outside a single organization and a larger group of peers. How are we moving? Are we moving in the right trajectory? And I think Craig, to your initial question, that's exactly why we need to be looking at these benchmarks. Let's take a look at another question here. We have a second question that's looking at some of the challenges around digital transformation. What do you perceive as the top three challenges to achieving digital excellence in clinical trials? Um, Aman, do you uh, want to kick us off on this one as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so uh, when I uh, reviewed the metric when it was first shared a couple of months, uh, uh, it was exactly in line. If you like read the first three responses, it, it's it's very clear. Uh, I think the top one, if you read, is is the process around it. Obviously, we have many handoffs. Everyone knows that because 
We have tech organizations, we have cleanups, we have data management and then biostatisticians. So data has to travel from acquisition to submission. It's a long journey. So the process around it is very complicated. We have to manage our compliance and QA and legal. So it, it's not a surprise. And the second and third were change management and the overall holistic strategy. So uh, I think that this is, these top three were good. And if you read the fourth one, um, how you convert your pilots into actual scale-up implementation. That's, that's another big one that I do at my company. We convert a lot of pilots into uh, large-scale implementations. Uh, uh, I think we are getting better at it, but still 40% feel that's one of the top four factors. Any other panelists surprised that something uh, didn't resonate uh, even higher or pop up louder on the list? Selecting the right external technology partners, vendors. I'm, I'm surprised that 20% only find this as a challenge, which probably means um, that a lot of vendors are now becoming clearer with, with what they offer, or at least our procurement departments uh, are kind of getting a good lay of the land of, of who's who, uh, which helps uh, in selection. But over with COVID, there was an explosion of new categories and new technologies, new vendors that I think, at least at the study team level, they are overwhelmed with all of that. They don't know who to select, what to do, and that's why they need teams like ours. I think uh, I will probably rephrase what Avi is experiencing in this is uh, uh, the alignment of the harmony issue. When I say alignment, you know, I go to this conference, I hear a vendor, I call the vendor, I do my own due diligence, and now I have a tendency to think very long term. You know, does it fit into Avi's 250 study model uh, at any time? But sometimes one study team may be thinking, with a very myopic vision that this technology suits their study most. So, so when, they, when, when I say selecting the right vendor, probably it could be me, right? We run into alignment issues, uh, Hassan. So, so we, have, uh, we have issue with this. <laughs> Brenda, did you want to comment on this? Yeah, just one other one that really surprised me is so low at 10% is changing the culture. Right? I, I think all of us at DFARM are absolutely uh, you know, innovators, adopters, advocates for this type of digital transformation. However, the others within our organizations are, are large in number, and many of them are not at the same place on that innovation adoption scale that we are. So I think it does take a lot of time and effort to uh, shift that culture. Uh, we've done a great job over the past years, and obviously, again, COVID has been a great accelerator of that, but still a lot of work in that change management. I was just going to add one thing and say that's a really good point, and I think also, before we go into this very exciting one too, um, is that this is a time and place when we initially filled these out, right, which was also a little bit closer to the pandemic when I can't speak for everybody else here, but it was a time when pretty much ask for anything, if it had any chance of being able to accelerate or keep a study going, and you were hearing yes, right? Yes, yes, spend this, approve that, approve this, right? So maybe at that little glimpse of time where we did that, it was closer enough. I can certainly speak now, if I were to fill this one out again now, I bet you I would score that one harder right now than it was back when we first did it. So again, these kind of like, snapshots in time and then to see how we do over time is going to be really interesting to see. Sounds like we'll see some nice change data next year. Yeah. 
Tim, while, while you've got the mic, uh, this next data point was looking at clinical trial uh, digital maturity by certain capabilities, trying to plot out areas like site selection, data capture, and look at um, industry averages in terms of where uh, organizations rank themselves. Anything here jump out at you? Anything surprise you? Other than just to think how it exciting this must be for everybody in the audience at the end of a conference to look at charts with data so it's pretty cool it's so colorful <laughs> it is it is nice in color it's kind of like a calming color so <clears throat> uh, again i think overall looking at these data pieces that are there one it's always interesting to look at the size of the gap in between the two right so you kind of look at those first areas that maybe start to you know, like, like most folks do when they start to look at an amount of data is to look at the outliers, right? So, so I myself looked at those areas where there appeared to be the uh, biggest gap, right? And of course, it starts to make me think why and, and, and what might be in there and is that an opportunity space for us to either do more in or maybe we need to do some more, you know, industry collaboration around these areas too, right? Because if there's some that seem to be way farther ahead, than others in the space, maybe they've solved for a piece that that would um, help others in a non-competitive way. And then on the opposite side of it, it's interesting also to look at the ones that are pretty close, right? That are uh, closer together than than the other ones. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of the items that I think stood out for me on this one. I think Craig, I will add one point on this uh, on this benchmarking. If you see uh, the industry average. The, the least one is one of the patient experiences, which is at the bottom. It's and not only least, it's the one that, um, in terms of organization self-assessment, even the best, the, the organization that mm. said, yes. you know, yeah. the highest was still the lowest, you yes. know, compared to all. From the lowest. Yeah. So I, I want to say that, now, if we put together an app for a patient, and obviously we have to create a seamless experience and, and one of the best experiences. But we, you have to remember, we are compared, if AbbVie is putting an app, AbbVie is not compared against BMS or GSK app. AbbVie's app is compared against Amazon, LinkedIn, and Google app, because that's what a user browses every day. And all the top there aren't any humans that are participating, yeah. hopefully yeah. not yeah. participating in all your studies concurrently. Yeah. And all the banking apps, which are very user-intuitive. The banking app, usually for the consumer banking, they spend $1.1 to $1.2 billion just to maintain that app. Mm. And that's not even our entire technology budget for the pharmaceutical company. So uh, we, I don't think so. We can like make a, a leapfrog even in the experience because Google app, Google has just $8 billion investment for the app, app, just for the app experience. Facebook, Instagram, we can't compete with it. But still, I think like the yesterday's session on the reverse innovation, bare minimum money what we have and we understand patient journey, even if we can make it like a little better, I think it will be a, a good experience for the patients. That slide is, I think, one of the, probably the most relevant, the most beneficial one for, for us as we compare the different categories. And, you know, we, we're seeing here an anonymized version of this slide, but we, each company receives a report, personalized report by the company. We only see our results and then the average. So we don't know how everybody else scored. Um, 
But this is where, when you look at it and you realize, because what you're not seeing here is where the laggards are. But we would see, if we were one of the laggards, we would see where we're situated compared to the average and the, the best in class. And that's where we can use this view as we present to our leaders when we're making decisions on what do we need to invest on for next year and for the next five years. Because we're, we often get into discussions where someone says, we need to invest in this direction because we think we're behind everybody else. And we get into a debate and we can't, nobody can prove the point. It's just an opinion because I heard so-and-so said that and I saw that at a conference, but we don't know what is true. Um, so that's one. The second thing that I, I, I don't find necessarily surprising, and we're, we're talking about patient experience, I think what we find, for those of you that are in pharma or even in CROs, when you're trying to invest in a specific category, compliance and quality always, unfortunately, always trumps patient experience. Although we, we come here and we say patient experience, patient centricity, it's a buzzword, it's really important. But when the FDA is knocking and you have CAPAs and quality concerns and audits and all of this, that takes more attention than investing in a state-of-the-art portal that enables patients to have a better experience. Unfortunately, it's, it is this way. So this is not surprising to me, uh, but it's quite disappointing that we are still at that level. Room for improvement, right, Brandon? Absolutely. So uh, we've got one more data point here, and Hassan, I'll ask you to uh, pick up your mic as we think about and reflect on how these digital capabilities are actually being utilized today um, in terms of density of the trial portfolio that are actually using some of these more innovative approaches. And, well, I see some interesting questions, but what are some of the uh, reflections you see as you uh, take a look? Yeah, so this is uh, probably, this, this view here complements the one we just saw previously because now it's giving you numbers and you see where, which ones of the technology categories are maybe more scaled and which ones are probably in some studies or kind of in pilot mode. Um, and one thing, again, that is not too surprising, if I look at the bottom of the list, maybe, because maybe we tend to focus on the, the negative parts first, screening and consent. Consent has been in existence for now, uh, 10 years, e-consent I'm talking about. But as you see, most, most companies still are experimenting with it, still don't have it fully scaled. Um, I'm not surprised about data capture. EDC is, is there and everybody, it's a commodity. Everyone uses it. Um, but if you look at the top versus the bottom, the top of the list, these are all things that are established, site selection tools, set operations, feasibility tools. These are things that we cannot live without. So obviously they're the most uh, proliferated across our portfolio. And as you look at the bottom, that's the more quote unquote innovative capabilities that are up and coming. Um, and as Tim mentioned earlier, it would be great to see maybe uh, over time a report of how things are evolving. How are we truly making progress as, a, as an industry or are we staying stagnant time over time? Tim, Automation can mean a lot of different things. On the one hand, we have Transcelerate's uh, 
automation efforts around digital data flow, but automation can also be nice and discrete robotic processes that we can automate. I would have thought we'd see a little more automation out there, no? Yeah, I was just looking at that one again, too, as a refresher here, and I think automation's a unique one, right? And I think, again, because it is one of those newer ones, and it can mean so much, so many different things to so many different people, and what is it that you automate, right? And, 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 and what's the value that, that kind of comes from that piece there? So, in a way, I wasn't all that surprised to see that one there, because, again, I still think it's, it's, it's a reflection, because if you look towards the middle where the scores start to kind of come down um, a bit more and as it flows down, I think those are the areas where people haven't quite fully yet solved for that. So how do you automate something that you haven't really fully, you know, gotten all the pieces around it? Like I think about e-consent and maybe the evolution to remote consent and what could we automate in terms of consents being filled with documentation and pre-populated with information and everything. And I think there's there's opportunities that exist in all those areas to to um, do some more aggressive automation work. But if they if 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 the uptake it if the uptake of it in general isn't quite there, then it's also a hard sell then to kind of push for what what is it that we automate? I guess that's interesting. So there could be a, a kind of sequential nature to yeah. some of these uh, following on one another. Uh, Brendan Amon, any other thoughts on here? No, I think I agree. Uh, automation, uh, so this is my, again, it's a very, very average perspective. Um, you know, we have automated a lot of things as an industry. Data capture is a good example. Data transformation is another example. And then trial management is another example. But people tend to focus a lot on what is not automated. So mm -hmm. the white spaces between these several technologies, between clean ops and portfolio planning and data management, uh, I think if sometimes uh, I have realized uh, over the, over like 15 years just doing this, automating that white space actually may increase your overall work. So it means different like different things to different people, and I think as an industry we have automated a lot of stuff. So I I'm actually a little optimistic about this. Yeah, maybe just one other quick point. Uh, I think as we look at this data. Hassan, you mentioned something really interesting regarding data capture being an EDC component, an EDC system. And I think future iterations of this survey would be really valuable if we detailed what data capture, is it remote data capture, is it an EDC platform? A bit more specificity around that would generate a lot of additional insights for us as an industry. That's a great point, it's dynamic. Well, let's keep uh, defining and refining. Brendan, hold your microphone. Uh, let's share some uh, some final takeaways. What what are your insights coming away? Yeah, I think so. You can see from this slide, there's a lot of great insights that we can glean from this type of of survey and and these benchmarks that are generated. Some of the really interesting ones, from my perspective, is where we are in terms of digital maturity as a clinical operations group versus those maturity, the, the maturity of those capabilities within our industry. Uh, we see that they're generally good, however, there's a, a differentiation from where ClinOp stands in terms of digital maturity. We saw where uh, some of those tools, such as site selection and, and data capture tools are, uh, however, it, it's, 
another great opportunity for us to say, these are maybe tools that if your, your organization is not progressing forward with them at scale, uh, something that you should probably start looking at. So wonderful insights that can be gathered here. Maybe just one other one that kind of lends to that point as well. When looking at this benchmark data, you can see where the leaders are, right? You can see where they are scaling these types of digital tools and how that could really be beneficial to your organization and give you a great value proposition to senior leadership and driving that forward at a faster pace. That's a great perspective. And hopefully, uh, and I think that seems like a pretty common sense of uh, how can I bring this back in my organization to help sustain investment, perhaps rethink certain categories, reprioritize, or maybe be able to uh, come away with additional funding based on where we're sitting relative to others. Um, Hassan? I, I think one thing that this report hopefully will grow into, you see this is a sample of 10 companies, the GSKs, the BMS, the Pfizer, the AbbVie's, uh, there are others that, that are not on this stage, but we're all on, in the same league, big pharma. As, and one of the purpose, purposes of being here today is to raise awareness to hopefully get more pharma companies, maybe even smaller companies, to participate in this uh, report in the future so that we got more high fidelity data. Uh, and everyone can use this to really invest in the right place because this is a snapshot of 10 big companies, but we don't know what else is happening out there in the world with the mid-sized companies, the smaller companies, and so on and so forth. And as we increase the value and increase the, the numbers, the volume of, of uh, respondents year on year, the report become, could become really a true benchmark for the industry that not only pharma would use, but vendors as well, as they see the opportunities where there are so many pharma companies that are not mature, at least in their own uh, perspective, that's where that would give hints to the vendor industry as to where they can invest and where they can put their efforts. Aman, Tim, any other closing thoughts? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look the next version or iteration of this next year. And my plan is to compare it to R&D productivity. That is also a benchmark of, uh, you know, top 10 pharma companies, uh, uh, the number of molecules produced in a year and the revenue generated per molecule. And I'm, I want to just, just measure if increase in digital adoption or if we are moving the needle here, is R&D throughput increasing or R&D productivity increasing? So I'm going to be looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. What's the lag time uh, <laughs> if you're making the investment today? When do you expect to see the R&D productivity in return? And just final thoughts, you know, you go for any Six Sigma training, they, they, they teach you first thing. You can't improve if you can't measure. I think the first time we have measured it, so we try to improve on it. Tim, you get the final 21 seconds. Go. Uh, just looking at the last one really quick, I will say, you know, that, that is a really important one for all of us to do. Think uh, globally and innovate locally, right? So don't forget about those kind of tweaks and adjustments to make, you know, to um, ensure stuff works across the globe. If, as Hassan mentioned earlier, you have an organization on the sponsor side, you're not sure if you're participating, would like to participate or would like to learn more, uh, come find me. I'm going to be sticking around here for a bit. Short of that, please join me in thanking our panelists. My thanks to all of you for sticking around. 
And finally, that extra thanks to the D-Farm team for making it happen in 22. We'll see you again in 23, right, Val? We hope you enjoyed this podcast recording from the D-Farm 2022 conference. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org.